Good evening. It is good to be together to worship God this evening. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're with us. We're thankful and uh, we welcome you and we hope that you can come back and be with us time and time again. If you'd like to be opening your Bible, we're going to be reading in just a few moments out of Joshua, the fourth chapter. And for many of the verses, we have slides tonight, but the particular uh, passage that we may begin with, uh, we will not have a slide for that. If you want to turn to Joshua, the fourth chapter, it's about on page 196 or 97 in the Bible that's in your pew if you want to turn there. Uh, we have had a magnificent week this past week. We're so thankful for our graduates that were honored last week. And as we mentioned Sunday morning, you had a lot to look forward to with Brett Dillard preaching. And he did a tremendous job. If you were here last Sunday night, you know that. Uh, we love and appreciate our graduates. We're thankful for Brett and the great job that he did of preaching God's Word. He challenged us. He challenged us intellectually and he, he convicted our hearts. And, and we're thankful for uh, the young man that he is and for the powerful message that he brought. Uh, we're also mindful of several young men and young women that are in high school that have been participating in High Step. And uh, we commend them for the great job that they've been doing either last Sunday or Wednesday night or even this Sunday teaching in various classes. Some have been children's classes, some have been youth classes, and some have been adult classes. And several of you Teachers have worked along uh, with this scheduling, and we appreciate uh, the, the support that you lent uh, to this, and we appreciate our young people, and we want them to continue uh, to find their place to serve God. Whatever ability God has given them, we want to give them an opportunity to grow and develop that. Uh, when we look around this morning and, and uh, this evening, although we do have a lot of guests with us, we have a lot of our own that are away, and I just received a phone call right before service started tonight, and, and at Fall Creek Falls, they had 218 in attendance their worship service. And so they're having a great uh, time there in that. Uh, we, are, we are thankful, as mentioned this morning, uh, to have Jared and Cynthia with us as our interns uh, this summer. Our interns are always a tremendous blessing to us for a lot of reasons. And uh, we're thankful for the high quality and caliber of young people that we have this year and in past years working with us. It's good for us. It's good for our teenagers and also for the workload that we have. There's so many things happening throughout the summer. And if you're a guest and you have young people in your family, uh, you would do well to be sure and meet Philip tonight before you leave and get an idea of what's happening in the summer. It's amazing the wonderful opportunities that our youth have. And we appreciate our interns and their ability and willingness to work in that area. Uh, I'm also mindful of the announcements that were made this morning of the Huddlestons just getting married in the rinks, celebrating their 60th anniversary. What beautiful, beautiful announcements to celebrate. Uh, we can say a lot about both, but I just want to quickly mention uh, the Huddlestons, Jonathan and Mallory, are truly two faithful Christian young people. Even this week, I received an, an email from Jonathan saying, hey, this may be something you want to push among the youth at Mount Juliet where I'm attending in Cookville. We have a great uh, youth camp that is designed for young men that want to learn to be preachers and, and you may want them to come. And he's involved in this. And I tell you, Jonathan has gone to college and he has remained faithful every step of the way. And he has found a faithful Christian uh, young lady that he has married. And uh, surely God in heaven is rejoicing over the Christian family that has been formed over this weekend uh, through marriage. And we're thankful for him and for that great example that he is uh, to all of us. And of course, so much good could be said uh, about the rinks. We could, uh, we could write a long and a beautiful book about what they mean to us and the work that they do. And uh, just by way of announcement, if I could quickly mention something that is really beneficial to me in my ministry. You know how uh, there are always questions that arise 
uh, just a ministry. You can count on it. They're going to come up. You go somewhere to preach and somebody asks a question, why don't we? And you fill in the blank. Well, there's a question that has come up many, many times. And now I am finally glad that I have an answer for it. Any of you that were here Wednesday night, uh, you know the joy and rejoicing that we had when Michael was baptized into Christ. And and uh, he was so excited, you probably noticed when, when he came up out of the water, uh, he reached over and he gave me a kiss right on the cheek. And he said, I love you, David. And now when people ask that question, it's been asked so many times. Why if Romans 16, 16 says to greet one another with a holy kiss, why don't we do it? Now I can say, hey, we do it, my Juliet. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. We... <laughs> You know, you don't need to be holding back on the scriptures there. Uh, we love you too, brother. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful experience uh, it has been to get to know this young uh, man and, uh, and his faith. And uh, we welcome you to the family. I've got a lot to cover tonight, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. We're not going to cover the whole sermon. Uh, we'll cover parts that we can, and then we'll just kind of streamline it at the end, and, uh, and we'll still get out of here on time. But I'd like for you to think about this, this weekend that we call Memorial Day. It truly is good for us to have memorials, because our human nature is, even things that are very important, we tend to forget them. And then if we don't forget them in our own lifetime, what we do is, unintentionally, but we forget them from generation to generation. And so since the beginning of time, almost, God has put into place various memorials. And what's interesting is many of these memorials He puts into place literally before the event happens or while it is happening to say, you're about to participate in something. And as you do this, I want to go ahead and tell you, we're going to establish a memorial so you don't forget it. And so the generations behind you don't forget it. And so that when children will see this memorial, they'll ask questions. And therefore, you can go over and you can show the gratitude that you have for God. You can recount the story and the things that the people have done previous generations that are mistakes. The children can learn from those and not duplicate those. And the things uh, that are good, they can continue to follow those on. And, and so it really is amazing. Just, just this, this weekend, I was talking to mom on the phone yesterday and I said, hey, w- w- what have y'all done today? And she said, well, we were up at six o'clock this morning at Chester Cemetery and, and we went over with, with a brush and, and some water and, and we washed the headstones of, of our family members. And so that just got us talking about our family members. And, and she mentioned, well, you know, and, and one of the stones we washed off was little uh, Willie Roy. And I remembered as a child hearing about, I said, Willie Roy, I said, now remind me. I said, remember that's your grandmother Armstrong's little brother that died when he was a year old. He was a happy and healthy little boy. And, uh, and just one day at a year old, he got sick. And three days later, uh, he was dead. And I remembered hearing that story growing up. So I began to ask mom about it. I said, well, remind me of this. Because he would be 100 years old if he was alive now. And so he died about, or almost 100. He'd be about 98 years ago he died. And, and I said, well, remind me. She said, well, I'm having to remember the story as I heard it through the years. And, and so she began to recount what she could remember. And she said, I wish I would have written some of that down. Now, I tell you that to say this. Why were we even talking about that? Because of a Memorial Day weekend. A weekend that's been established to say, hey, let's give honor to the ones that have passed on before us, whether they're in the military or if they're in our own families. Memorials are good. We need to remember. We need to remember the generations that have gone on. We need to remember life's lessons. And we need to make sure that we take the right things from that. You know, when we see a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, we might not immediately think of a memorial, but yet that's literally what one particular Harley-Davidson is going to become. 
Mark Peter was out riding his four-wheeler on the western side of Canada just a month or so ago, and he saw a container floating in the Pacific Ocean. That container had traveled 4,000 miles after the tsunami. And a young man, I think you might pronounce his first name, Ikyu. His last name is Yokoyama, Yokoyama. He was the owner of this motorcycle. He had several of his possessions warehoused in this container behind his house. And when the tsunami came back last year, it wiped out all of his house, all of his possessions. Three of the family members in his home died. And when they traced this motorcycle back to him, they said, we'll try to find some way to ship this back to you if it's important to you. Harley-Davidson Company actually became involved in this. And they said, not only will we ship it back to you, we will restore it and bring it back to running condition and, and we'll send it back to you. You and I are probably thinking the tsunami was over a year ago and we may be picturing life as normal. But you see, their life is still so upside down. He said, I need to find a calmer time in my life. He said, now's not the time that I'd like to have my motorcycle back. He said, but I would ask a favor of you, speaking to the Harley-Davidson representative. He said, would you preserve my motorcycle in its present condition? And would you take it to your museum that thousands of people visit a year? And would you display it as a memorial to honor the thousands upon thousands of my countrymen and my family members that have died in this tsunami? And Harley-Davidson said they would be honored to do that. And so soon... This motorcycle will become a, a memorial where, where little kids will walk by and they'll tug at their dad and they'll say, why is that dirty motorcycle here? And their father can explain the tragedy of the tsunami and they can be reminded of what that nation went through in 2011. Memorials. God gave us memorials before Jesus Christ even died on the cross. He sat down with the disciples and says, I want to give you a memorial so that you will remember my life and my death and my burial and my resurrection. And he hadn't even done it yet. He said, I want you to remember the body that I'm about to offer. I want you to remember the blood that I'm about to shed. And, and notice, he knew human nature. He was the creator of us. He knew that we needed reminders. And so I'd like for you to notice here in this passage in, in Joshua, this is where the children of Israel are ready to cross over the Jordan River. Don't confuse that with the Red Sea where they were coming out of Egypt in the beginning. This is 40 years later. And now Joshua is ready to lead them over. But yet still there's a Jordan River that during flood season it's a very uh, large uh, moving water that that it was going to be very difficult for them to cross and so God is going to separate the waters and so he tells the the priest to carry the ark of the covenant and whenever the soles of their feet hit this flooded water you ever seen a flooded river imagine the faith it took the water did not separate until the soles of their feet hit the top of the water and as their solar feet at the top of the water the water spread and they stepped on dry ground and they stood out there in the midst and literally before they crossed over, God said, and I want to go ahead and establish a memorial. 
And so Joshua, what I want you to do is I want you to get one man from each of the 12 tribes. And I want you to pick up some of those huge stones that's in the bottom of the Jordan. And and I want you to get each man to carry a stone to the other side where you're going to sleep tonight. And I want you to heave up those stones so that in future generations, when people pass by and children say, why are those 12 stones there? Well, here's the way they would say it. Notice in, in the fourth chapter, verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign, in other words, it was going to serve as a memorial, among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? And then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant and the Lord. And when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Let's skip down to 21. Some of this is going to be redundant, but just for emphasis sake, look at 21 still in Joshua, the fourth chapter. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. So that was going to prove the power of God. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Notice that end. Why is this memorial set up? I want you to know it, but I want you to be able to ask your, answer your children's questions when they ask, because I want you and your children to know this. You ought to fear the mighty God forever. How mighty is he? A child would ask their parents. He's mighty enough. You see that flooded river? There was a day where he separated those waters and they walked across on dry land. And imagine children saying, our God is mighty. What have you told your children? And because of your conversation with them, they know God is mighty. We need to establish memorials. And and maybe I'm using this term loosely from here on. But we need to establish memorials in our life. And it may be our behavior. It may be our daily habits. It may be times where we sit down and open God's book. And it may be other times where we just look at the behavior and the conditions of our lives and of our families of events around us. And we need to have those times where we talk with our children and we say, I want you to know this. I don't want you to ever forget this. I want you to not only know this, I want you to pass this on to your children. Five years ago, we did a study on memorials and we talked about if there were 12 stones that we were going to lift up in this congregation, what might those 12 stones be? And I'm going to run over these 12 stones with you very quickly that we listed five years ago. Number one, we would raise the stone To love God with all of our being. Matthew 22 and 37. The second stone we said we'd raise up five years ago was the stone that we ought to love others as ourselves. The second greatest commandment, verse 39. We also said we'd lift up a stone that our children would never forget the holy word of God. We also said we'd lift up the stone that we would want our children to know, number four, that there is a pattern of salvation. In Romans 6 and 17, he says that there is a form of doctrine that saves us. 
And we would want to make sure that our children knew that doctrine of salvation. We said number five, we'd lift up a stone that was the pattern of the family. It's God who instituted marriage. It's God that designed husbands and wives and sons and daughters. Number six, we said we'd lift up a stone for the pattern of the church. Make sure that our children knew that Christ owns a church. It's began and recorded in the New Testament, and we simply want to be a part of that church. Number seven, we said we lift up a passion for evangelism, that we truly want to be people that fulfill the Great Commission, and we want our children to fulfill the Great Commission. Number eight, we said we lift up a stone of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Number nine, we said we lift up a stone of praying without ceasing, that we would always be families in a congregation that prays without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17. Number 10, we said we lift up a stone that we as individuals would be godly in our character. In Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 2, we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And number 11, we said we lift up a stone of perseverance. The Christian walk has never been a spark or a sprint. It's been a blazing fire that's more like a marathon. It's who we are and who we intend to be forever. It's not a phase of life. And we want to lift that stone for our children to know that and to believe that. And the 12th stone that we said we would raise would be the stone of vision. To have people that see things that are wrong and have a broken heart that says, I believe that things can be better. I believe the ungodly can be godly. I believe that where I am today, I can grow and I can mature and I can be more of what God wants me to be. I was driving this week and I thought about this lesson. I really enjoyed writing this lesson five years ago. And so as I was just driving, I started thinking, what if we were to raise 12 more stones? What would they be? And I don't offer to you that I think I have the top 24 things that we need to raise. It's not that by any means. But as I just thought, what is it that I want my children and the young people of this congregation? What is it that we would want them to say, oh, I believe that with all of my heart. And I would pass that on to my children without any hesitation. This is a part of who I am. This is a part of my faith. This is a part of my spiritual life. And so I'd like to offer to you 12 more stones that we could lift up. And I've tried hard for the 12 of the previous not to overlap with these 12. Number one, I'd want to lift up the stone that God is love. There is nobody that loves you the way God does. I want our children to know that. Because there's a lot of distorted and perverted things said about love in our society today. And God is true love. And God is the greatest lover of all. In 1 John, the fourth chapter, in verse 16, and we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. We also see a second thing, a second stone. This may sound real strange, but are you ready for this? The first is God is love, but I would want our children to also know God is severe. I know that sounds like the swinging of the pendulum, but it is a fact that if we paint a picture that is only halfway of God, we have misrepresented God. God is not bipolar. God does not have dual personalities. Listen, 
you and I need to study the scriptures and make sure that we come with, with an understanding, a complete understanding of God. And that is God is love. And in that love is kindness of God, the goodness of God. But also in that love is the severity of God. If I have painted a picture in my mind that God would not punish a sinner, I have not listened to whom God says that He is. And so we could read so many passages, but like Romans the 11th chapter and 22 where Paul said, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On these who fail, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. In Romans, the second chapter, the first 11 verses talk to the Jews, telling them that even though they've been the chosen generation and even though they've been religious people, they can lose their soul on the day of judgment. That's the theme of Romans, the second chapter. And you get to verse 11 and you know what he says? He says, there's no partiality with God. God is not going to look at anybody here and say, oh, that's your last name. Come on into heaven. Oh, your family has four generations of Christians. Come on into heaven. God is going to look and see your relationship with Him or your relationship without Him. And there's no partiality with God. The severity of God is very severe. This leads us to a third thing. A third stone that I would raise up. I would like to raise up from that the severity of God. The urgency of the Great Commission. In other words, in this, and I know I'm splitting hairs because in the previous 12, we talked about the Great Commission. But what I want to do is raise up an urgency of the Great Commission. And that is the fact that because God is a God of severity, it ought to wake us up and we ought to chime in with Paul and say, I have the same feeling about this that Paul has about this. Have you ever wondered how Paul reached so many souls? And have you ever wondered why maybe we don't reach more souls today? Look at this passage here in 2 Corinthians 5 and 11. And look how Paul viewed the opportunity to win souls. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Listen, we can talk about all the reasons we want people to be saved. And I know the debate is kind of where people try to one-up. Well, I believe it's a better reason that you want to go to heaven. I believe you ought to want to be saved because you love God. I'm not debating about how many different reasons there is to want to be saved. But here's what we better get. We better understand that one of the major reasons we want people to be saved is because the terror of God is condemnation for an eternity. And Paul says, when I see the terror of God, it energizes me to reach out to people. And all of a sudden, the Great Commission becomes very, very urgent. If you knew some horrible catastrophe was about to happen to someone and you could give a warning cry and prevent it, how long would it take you to decide whether or not you would give the warning cry? How long did it take Paul to decide to tell people with urgency about Jesus Christ? That's a stone we need to lift up. Number four, we'd lift up the stone that Mount Juliet or the Lord's church is a place to grow. In 1 Peter 4 and 10, we learn that God has given every one of us a gift and that we're to use it to the blessing of all. The Lord's church ought to be a place that we can grow in knowledge and we can grow in opportunities to serve. Number five, 
I would want our children to know that human life is sacred. We're about to go over two or three here that our society is on a terrible decline in these areas. And our children are going to deal with things that I would guess most of us here have never thought about as it pertains to an American culture. Right now we have seen the acceptance by culture of the fact that life in the womb is not sacred. It doesn't change what God says. But if we stay on this route, we will see strong arguments for, for the aborting of babies after they are born. There's already, that's already being written about in medical journals here in America right now. And of course, we're going to see it with euthanasia on the other end of life. When someone says, I don't want to live any longer, or someone in their family says, it's, not, uh, it's time for my loved one to go ahead and die with dignity. Friends, we're going to have to know that as is stated here in Genesis, the, the ninth chapter, skip down to verse six and notice what he says. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed for, and this is the reason why. For in the image of God, He made man. We slaughter livestock and we eat them because God did not make cattle after His image. We eat pork because God didn't make pigs in His image. But listen, we don't take the life of humanity because God made man in His image. Another area that is on decline, I would want to raise the stone that would make sure that our children know that sexual morality is honorable. And immorality is a dishonor to God. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3, he talks about abstaining from sexual immorality. And in 4, he says that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel. Notice this, in sanctification and honor. And then he writes on to not be like the Gentiles who do not know God. In Hebrews 13 and 4, marriage is honorable in all. And there it would be adulterers and fornicators that are dishonorable. In Romans, the first chapter, it's homosexuals that are dishonorable in their actions. And so we see very clearly that God has created a boundary of marriage for a, a man and a woman who are husband and wife to enjoy the gift that God has given them. And that is moral. That is honorable. Outside of that, it is a dishonor to the creator. We lift up the stone number seven, that truth is absolute. We've talked about this several times in the last few weeks. So I'll just mention in John 14 and 6, Jesus is truth. In Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth is absolute. Number eight, I would raise up the stone of wisdom. You'll notice in the handouts on Sunday's bulletin and in the, bullet, uh, the calendar that's been handed out at the beginning of the year, wisdom was the theme for this month. And because of so many other activities... Preaching-wise, we were not able to incorporate that, but I hope you will look forward to that sometime later on in this year, probably on a Sunday night series. I'm as excited about that series as any series we're going to do. And what we learn is that God teaches us that we ought to pursue wisdom as if it were a treasure. We need to make sure that our children know the value of godly wisdom. And that they have obtained it and that they would share it with their children. Number nine, we'd lift up the fact that elders are to be honored. First Thessalonians 5 and 12, he says to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And notice this in 13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Notice, you esteem them for their work's sake. We have good men who are elders. 
And they deserve honor because of that. But they especially deserve honor because of the position that they hold. We need to honor God's plan of the church. Number 10, I would lift up a sobering stone as a memorial. And that is the realization that Satan, evil, and hell are real. 1 Peter 5 and 8, Satan is our enemy. He's seeking to devour us. Matthew 10 and 28, towards the end of that verse, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 6 and 24, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. You'll hold the one and spies the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We must believe that there is an enemy that wants to destroy us for an eternity. I'd raise an 11th stone, and that 11th stone is about our spiritual family. And one of our spiritual family members fall. One of the characteristics of God's family at Mount Juliet is that we go after the one that has fallen. Luke, the 15th chapter, you have 99 sheep and one goes astray. You leave the 99 and you go after the one that's gone astray. Galatians, the 6th chapter and verse 1, those who are spiritual, restore such the one. Let it be that by our life, our teachings, our actions, and our heart, that we prove we truly love each other and we are not satisfied for anyone to lose the victory, as we were talking about this morning. And number 12, we'd lift the stone that heaven is truly worth it all. In Romans, the 8th chapter, and we'll extend the invitation with this, for I consider that the suffering of this present time Are you going through any difficult times right now? Are you going through any challenges right now? Have you just found yourself sometime wondering, is it really worth it? Is this Christian faith really worth it? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Paul would say in Philippians 1 and 23, I have a desire to depart, which would be far better. Listen, we don't have earthly words to describe how awesome heaven is going to be. If we miss heaven, we've missed it all. We need to raise up a stone in our life that's a constant memorial to us and to all that we come in contact with. That we want to live with God on this earth And we want to live with God for an eternity. Tonight, if someone walked up to you and said, what I need to know about Christianity, what would your answer be? If there were just a few things that you you could say, I want this passed on for generations to come, what would your answer be? As you think about that, are you living it? Let's make sure that one of the loudest sermons our youth are hearing is what they see us living. Tonight, I'm thankful for memorials. It's so easy to forget. And God wants us to remember. If there's something you remember right now about your life that you're not proud of and you're not thankful for and you want it to be a part of your past, 
why don't you come to the one that can separate sins as far as the east is from the west? If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not tonight? What a wonderful way to stake your claim in victory with the only one who can give it. Maybe you've begun that walk and along the way you've lost the way. Why not come back? Why not remember? Remember your first love. Remember where you were. And restore the joy of that salvation that only God can do for you. If we can help you in any way.